Hey, it's uh, so great to be with you today. As Pastor Brent said, we're in this series, In the City, For the City. And where that series came from was uh, a group of pastors uh, working to, uh, on, on a, really a, to develop a, a program and really a chart a course for churches across the city. Uh, it's called Greater Impact Austin. And, um, and I sat with a, a bunch of pastors in a, in a room, and they all, um, we sort of heard from about 10 pastors what the, the vision uh, is for getting pastors to partner and work together. And it was an incredible thing to listen and to hear. I mean, as one chapel, we're brand new in the city. It's a wonderful thing. We're, we're five and a half months old. Isn't that incredible? And, uh, and I'm, I'm so grateful for what Jesus is doing. But to see what has been happening, what's been being coordinated, the prayers that people have prayed, the work that pastors have done, and now to see it kind of being coordinated in a brand new way for what's coming next is a really cool thing. And so over 100 pastors are speaking this, these three messages, a, a God for the city, a church for the city, and a Christian for the city uh, on this type of series. And over 100 churches, 100 pastors are teaching on this before Easter so that all of us together can be on the same page. We know what we're doing. We know who we are. We know where we're going. And I'm very excited about that. And so that's the series we're in. Are you ready to study the scripture? All right, so let's pray. Father, we want to know your word. We want to hear your voice. We want to know your touch. And so, Lord... Speak to us now as we open the scriptures, illuminate our hearts and minds, help us to be listening carefully for what you're saying to each one of us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen. If you want to turn, John chapter 17, John chapter 17, verse 20. I remember the, the, the first time that I realized that the name of the church would be one chapel. I, uh, I wrestled with a lot of different names, and, and naming a church is really a painful experience because, I mean, it, people are going to use the name, and they're going to kind of identify you with that name, and, and we, we, we wrestled with lots of different options from resurrection to community to, um, you know, fellowship to church to, you know, what we finally settled on, but I was really concerned about, I was really concerned about that, and I, I, I hadn't heard from the Lord I'd come up with a list of 40 different names. In fact, I had bought 40 different URLs, .com.org. I had bought 40 different ones. I had no idea what was going to happen. <laughs> Never got that money back. But, but I was praying about it. I was asking the Lord. And this idea of one had sort of come up the week before. I think my wife and actually Brent's wife we're praying together, we're talking together, and they kind of came up with this idea. And it seemed like a nice idea, um, but I, I, I hadn't had the Lord really impress it on me. I was reading the Bible, I was doing my daily Bible reading, and was just going through, happened to be reading John 17 that day. And, um, and as I was reading John 17, it is the prayer of Jesus. And it is the moment, I remember I was sitting there in my study, and I have this really cool recliner. It seats two people, so my wife can sit with me. We can read the Bible together and pray together. And, it's, and so um, the kids come up, and we have um, discipline time there and stuff like that. Um, but I, was, I remember I was, I, I was reclining back in the chair, and the little foot thing was up, and I was reading it. 
And I remember stumbling upon this passage and sitting up in my chair and just hearing the Lord speak to me about what we're doing here. Because I'm very aware that there, even though we are a local church, even though we are a family of believers, we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. And I wanted, part of what I, I wanted was us to be defined, not as some, a group of people who thought that we were sort of the answer, but I wanted to be defined as something that was part of an incredible, an incredible movement, an incredible movement of God amongst churches and um, in a city. And so I saw this passage, and we're going to read it here because I think it's so important for us as we identify what a church for the city is. That's the name of the title of the message today, is A Church for the City. John chapter 17, verse 20, says, My prayer is not for them alone. He was praying for his disciples. They were there together, and he was praying over them. He says, I don't pray for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Hey, that's us. He was praying for us. We're the ones who have believed. 2,000 years later, Jesus prayed for us that day. That's a cool thought, isn't it? Verse 21 says, I pray also for them who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I want you to see the, the two pieces to that verse. One is Jesus is saying, Father, I want you, I want them to be one like we're one. I want them to be in us and for us to be in them. I want them to know their identity. I want them to know who they are because Jesus was praying for this because they don't, you, you don't know who, you don't know what to do unless you know who you are. You, 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 people who don't know who they are don't know exactly what they're doing here. But people who identify themselves as children of God, people who identify themselves as sons and daughters of the Most High and have the confidence and assurance in their hearts of His power and His strength in them, they begin to know what to do. And what did Jesus say? I want them, us to be in them and them to be in us. Why? So that the world will believe that you sent me. Make no mistake, that's what we're doing here. <laughs> we got to know who we are. Obviously, we're going to teach, we're going to train, we're going to disciple, we're going to encourage, we're going to challenge one another, but we're doing it because there's something that's going to happen. The purpose, unity comes from this purpose. A lot of people, a lot of churches have experimented with unity in their city, and sometimes it gets you know, all the pastors get together and all they end up doing is just praying for each other's hurts. That's a good thing. I mean, pastors have some hurts, I can tell you from experience. But that's not enough. That's not the purpose of unity. Unity actually comes from having a purpose. So, so you end up getting together. We end up partnering with a church that's bigger than ours a church of the city, a church for the city, a church that 
thinks about the city, a church that is willing to engage in the city. We are not here to transform everything. We're here to join our voices with the people who've come before us. We're coming to, to, to plow the ground that God gives us, the niche that he gives us, the place that he gives us, the neighborhoods. We've got to be responsible for that, but we've got to know that there are other people in this field and we're working alongside of them. God wants to make us one in this city. That's why I'm so excited about more than 100 pastors doing this on Sunday mornings. It's an incredible idea that will get us on the same page because there is so much more to come. You see Jesus, he says here, he says in verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You know what that last little phrase means? That last little phrase means that the Father loves you just as much, the same, if not more, than Jesus. His one and only Son, John 3.16. He sent His one and only Son, but you know why He did that? He sent his one son so that he could adopt a whole bunch more. That's me and you. He wants to adopt a whole bunch more children, and he is in the process of it, and he wants us to join him in it. So we are a church. We are a local church. We have all of the, uh, of the things that we need for a, a local church. We don't have a building. We don't need a building to have a local church. We are the church. And as we identify ourselves as a church, one in the Father, the Father in us, we begin to identify the other believers around the city. They are the church along with us. We are the church together. And so we are partnering with them. God is making us one. He's putting us together. But it is not enough just to come and do services on Sunday. It is not enough that a church for the city doesn't gather and cloister themselves away in a movie theater and gather together and worship God and go through the ritual and the experience and the encounter, as great it is as it is. It was pretty good this morning. I mean, I, I enjoyed, I was standing around here, I watched you worship. I watched what was happening as we, as we declared what we believe through the creed. I, I watched as we shared communion together and let God clean us from the inside out. That, those, are, those are awesome times together. But that is not all that we're called to do. Turn over to, to uh, Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58. While you're turning there, let me just read a little something to you. It's an interesting thing when you think about influencers, people of influence, organizations of influence. In October of 2010, Forbes.com reported that the Apple, that Apple visionary co-founder and CEO, Steve Jobs, is the third most influential businessman in the country. He's an impressive guy. The statement about Jobs was this. It's next to impossible to walk through the streets of any major metropolis, through its cafes, office buildings, and classrooms, and not be flooded with a sea of iPhones, iPods, iPads, and MacBooks. And everybody said, thank you, Jesus. No offense to all you PCs out there. Still love you. 
It's just an inferior operating system. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I just lost a bunch of you. Sorry. Come on, go with me. See, we can be different and yet be unified. It's okay. Here, here's what, the, here's what, here's what it, the article said. It said, there we sit, immersed in extension of our digital selves, tapping, pinching, and typing our way to a better understanding of ourselves and the world around us. This is the legacy of Steve Jobs, Apple's visionary co-founder and CEO. The article went on to say, but Jobs hasn't only revolutionized the electronics industry, he's also changed the way we consume content. This guy has been influential. And look, Apple is an amazing company. I mean, it's weaving its way into all kinds of areas of our society and our culture. I mean, the way we consume content from everything from iPods to our computers and our iPads, it has changed the way that we surf the internet. It's changed the way that we interact with each other. I mean, it's really an amazing, an amazing thing. And yet, when we talk about Apple this company, its wide-ranging and reaching cultural pull on us. We talk about the excitement, the dedication, the innovation. I mean, there's nobody more excited about their product than Apple users, right? I mean, they are committed. They're crazy committed. Sometimes offensively committed. <laughs> These little pieces of plastic and metal and wires, that's it. There's nothing else. People are really committed to these little pieces of plastic, metal, and wires. I don't want to downplay its, its significance, but um, if history tells us anything, it tells us that not only do companies not last forever, their products, no matter how good they are, no matter how much they cost, they can't fundamentally change humanity. An iPod has never brought peace between countries. It has brought peace in my minivan. <laughs> but it cannot do anything to change humanity. Cannot to do anything to transform. No iPhone has ever eliminated selfishness from the human makeup. No iMac has ever eradicated pride. In fact, in fact using iMacs may increase your pride. Can you imagine, though, if there was an organization, if there was an entity that possessed an even more wide-reaching influence than Apple, one which penetrated every layer and domain of society? Could you imagine an even more accessible and transformational product than the iPhone, one that was, which was not only free but could fundamentally change, re constitute and shape our lives, no matter what circumstances we face, no matter what happens to us. Could you imagine an even more corporate genius than Steve Jobs? Could you imagine a genius which had the ability to know and understand the needs of every possible person and was guaranteed to succeed no matter what? no matter what restrictions, no matter what setbacks, this would be an organization that people would long to be a part of. An organization that could transform the fundamental landscape of history and humanity. This kind of entity, this kind of group of people is called the church. 
Jesus is indeed our CEO. And he is a genius. He does have every solution. He knows the answers. He has the answers for society's ills. He has the answers for everything that the city of Austin needs. And he also has the people to make sure that the product is able to be applied. He really does. Changes the way you think about the church a little bit. Look at Isaiah 58. I want you to see this is God speaking to his people and he's, and he's rebuking them a bit. Start in, in verse 4. It says, your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. Now, I've fasted before. Fasting is going out without food. And I, every time I fast, I do feel like quarreling and striking people with fists. <laughs> So what he's, what he's saying here is what, what, what God is speaking through Isaiah the prophet is he's speaking to his people and he's saying, look, you can't go through the ritual. You can't just attend. You can't just connect in a, in a worship service. You have, there's something more that I have for you. He says, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this not the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for a man to humble himself? It is, is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Now, all these are the elements of fasting, no doubt about it. Sackcloth and ashes, humbling yourself, bowing, all those are important elements to the practice of fasting. But God doesn't want the act. He wants the heart. He wants the act. I said that wrong. He not only wants the act, he wants the heart. So he's trying to get at the heart of his people here. Verse 6 says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? He says, then he says, this is the kind of fasting that I have chosen for you. I want you to change the way you see the city. I don't want you to see it through the grid of these worship services. I love for you to attend these worship services. I think this is what empowers us and shapes us and then changes us and sends us out. But he want, this, is, this is God's word to his people and he's saying, I, I want you to see your religious rituals differently. This is not the fast I've called you to. I've called you to a different kind of purpose and a different kind of fast. I want you to provide justice for people who are violated. I want you to make sure that you are not just bringing justice, but you're untying cords and yokes that are on people. You're loosening the chains of sin and shame that are on them. I want you to loosen that up for them. I want you to take it off of them. I want you to set oppressed people free. I want you to break every yoke. I want you to share your food with the hungry. For those who are hungry and in need, I want you to provide the poor wanderer with shelter. When you see naked people, to clothe them. I want you to give your stuff away. I don't want you to turn away from your own flesh and blood. I don't want your families being destroyed by your own Attitudes and actions. I don't 
want divorce to destroy your marriages and for fathers and children to turn away from each other. This is the kind of fast. This is the kind of worship. This is the kind of action and activities that God called his people to. You are his people. Now notice what happens when we, when we see this. Verse, verse 8, it says, Then if you do this, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Wow! The secret to our own healing is making sure that others are free. One of the secrets to something happens when you focus on yourself and you, you are all consumed with your own issues instead of reaching out. You miss God's appointed opportunity. You miss God's loving hand reaching down and touching you as you touch someone else. You become consumed with yourself. You miss God's healing power that wants to come into your life. I really believe that. We could go through and read the New Testament. We don't have time to do all that. Talk about how God's sowing and reaping principles actually work. I mean, but it's true. When we sow something, when we reach into somebody else's life, something happens to us. Our healing begins to appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. It means God will protect you. He'll be all around you. Verse 9, then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You'll cry for help, and he'll say, here I am. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? It's not just calling out, calling to him for help. It's calling to him for help and being willing to do what he asks you to do. If you call for help, but you're not willing to obey, it's, it, that's where a lot of Christians begin to get confused. Here he says, If you do away with the yoke of oppression, the pointing finger, malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves, everybody say, spend yourselves. Say it one more time, spend yourselves. If you'll spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. You want people in Austin to see the light? Do this and the night will become like day. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and you will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden. Ah, <gasps> A well-watered garden, the smell of a well-watered garden is so beautiful, so rich, so green, so luscious. It's so wonderful. It smells so good, like dirt, you know? <laughs> Something good about that smell. It doesn't smell anything like this theater. <laughs> Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. I want, you to, I want you to circle that little word there, rebuild. This is, the, this is the passage I wanted to get to. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. And will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls. Restorer of streets with dwellings. God wants us to be the ones who build the city. And rebuild what's been torn down. He wants us to be the kind of people who re will repair what's broken. He wants us to be the people that will restore streets and dwellings. We will be committed to loving our city. Last week, we talked about how God loves the city, what, why God loves this mass of people that have gathered together in these urban areas, because he loves people. He's in love with people, and because cities are where the most people are, <laughs> he loves cities. We've got to love the city as much as he does, and that's what this is talking about, is loving the city in a practical and tangible way. 
I want us to be called the repairer. I want us to be called the restorer of broken things. There's a movement on right now with a group of churches, and it's, it's forming right now. It's shaping up to partner with the school districts because they identified the idea that third grade is where the rubber meets the road in terms of reading. If third grade students can read in third grade, the trajectory is good. If third graders cannot read, if they don't learn well how to read at third grade, the trajectory is awful. The statistics are horrible. There's a pivotal moment where they learn in third grade that, we, that, we, that, that the church didn't identify, the school district identified it. But they don't have enough people and enough volunteers and enough help to make sure that third graders can read. Actually, prisons forecast the number of beds they'll need right now based on the statistics of third grade reading. Yeah, it's a little crazy. What's happening in Austin is we've, we discovered this need and began to dialogue. And so what's going to happen, and, it, and it's going to be shaped, it's going it's to kind of morph into... You know, something that, that as we work on it and shape it and work it out, there'll be concerns, there'll be issues, there'll be struggles. But all these people that can be mobilized as God's people, we need to be the ones who help repair that. Whatever's going on in the life of that third grader, we can help them read. And we can save them from being one of those statistics. We can restore something that's been lost in those little children. And I'm not talking about going into a room full of third graders and laying hands on them saying, read in Jesus' name. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> that will cause you to be offensive. What we're talking about is being willing to repair something. What we're talking about is being willing to untie a yoke of oppression on a third grader. And that takes time and energy that sometimes we haven't been willing to give as the church. God's calling us to it. He's calling us to be a church for the city. A church that is for the city. For what's going on in the city. Turn to Luke chapter 10 and we'll see what Jesus says about this. Luke chapter 10. We'll have to go quickly now. This is Jesus and he's about to send out 70 of his disciples. And he's already sent out 12. He's already been working with 12, but he has lots of other disciples that he's going to begin to send out and to charge with a mission. And I think if we look at this mission, he gives us coaching tips on what we're involved in here in a city. So he's going to send them to these cities. He says, verse, verse 1 in chapter 10, After this, this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two. Underline that little phrase right there, two by two. The gospel message is a partnership message. The gospel message is, a, is a, 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 something that happens in community. It does not happen in isolation. If you consider the fact that we must have a community of people to even measure spiritual growth, right? You, if you have the fruit of the Spirit growing in your life, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, kindness, and self-control. <laughs> see? Okay. See the illustration? 
I couldn't remember them all myself, but we could remember them all together. Here's the point. You can't measure love and patience without being with people. That's the only measuring stick you've got. Community is how the gospel is lived out. The gospel is applied in these communities. So he sends them two by two, doesn't send them out by themselves, two by two ahead of him to every town, every town and place where he was about to go. So they're going on a mission ahead of him and he's coming. And then he tells them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lamb among wolves. Lambs among wolves, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Now look at this little passage here. He's coaching them. Let's unpack it just a little bit. First thing he says is, look, people are ready. The harvest is plentiful. There are people who want your message. I think the Christian church in America has a complex because they don't think that people want their message. We're afraid to tell them about it because they, we think that they think we're judgmental bigots. We have to be confident in what the word says and what Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful. It's open. People are ready. I said it last week. I believe there's 20,000 people ready to come to Christ in this city today because God's working on them. He's working behind the scenes. And if someone will just say something, if someone will just be willing to lead them, if you have that kind of confidence, guess what happens? You're more willing to share. But if you think, oh, no, they don't want to hear anything I have to say. They'll think I'm intolerant. They won't like what I have to say. They'll think I'm forcing something on them. You see the problem? The harvest is plentiful. Ask the Lord of the harvest. This should be our first prayer. Lord, send more workers. Send more laborers. We're going, but we want you to send more. He says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Lambs among wolves. That's crazy, isn't it? That's like so dangerous. We're all lambs and we're going out among the wolves. We're not, he didn't say, I want you to be a wolf in sheep's clothing. He didn't say, I want you to bring the wolves where the lambs are. I'm okay with bringing people to church. I want you to bring them to church. It's great. I commit to you that I will close the deal with them if I can. I'm serious. I will, I'll pray for them. I'll give them an opportunity to respond to, to Christ and his work in their lives. We're going to do that. The presence of Jesus is here in worship. I think God's going to touch them. It's, I'm okay with you bringing people to church. However, Jesus said, I'm sending you like lambs among wolves. So be careful. I'm sending you out. He says, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Now, at first glance, you look at this little passage and you think, okay, so what is he saying here? Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. What he's telling them is, I don't want you to be consumed in taking care of yourself. He said, I don't want, I don't want your, all of your needs to be your first thoughts. He said, I want you to be thinking about the needs of others as your first thoughts. And then he says, he says, don't, don't talk to people on the way. Well, that seems kind of rude, doesn't it? It's like you're just walking along the road. There's people there. Be nice. Okay, yeah, that's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is, don't get distracted. 
Don't get distracted from your mission. You have a mission. And I don't want you to be concerned with getting stuff for yourself. Bags, shoes, stuff. don't carry all that stuff around. He's, it's reflective, reminiscent of Jesus in Matthew 6 when he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what does he say? And then all these things will be added to you. Don't worry about the stuff. Don't be consumed. Don't pack a huge suitcase because you'll be a pain. You know, you, know, you know these women that pack huge suitcases and they bring them on vacation and who carries them? <laughs> their husbands, sometimes their teenage boys. He said, I don't want that. I want you to look to me for your needs and I want you to be focused like a laser beam on the mission I'm sending you. This is why I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know how one chapel is going to grow and mature. I think God's going to give us a lot of opportunity and all that. But they're, they're, we can never get sidetracked or distracted. The stuff that goes on with us can never distract us from what our mission is to the world. So Jesus says, I want you to be on, on the mission. He says, when you enter a house, verse 5, First say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Then he says, stay in that house. Eat, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick, you are there, uh, sorry, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. I want to give you four things. I want you to write them down. Ready? This little passage, here it is. The first thing he says is he says, speak peace. Speak peace to people. You need to be people that when you speak to others, there is peace that comes out of you. You're not angry and violent and irritated. Uh, so hard for us to understand, so hard for the city to understand us. <laughs> when all they see on the news is those kind of people that hold up signs, that have horrible language, angry, rude, that's, that's not who we're called to be. We're called to speak peace. When he says, whenever you come to a house, say peace to this house. Churches should be the people that lift up, never tear down. We should never tear down people. We should always be looking to lift them up, no matter who they are. No matter, now you have to understand, the cities he was sending to, they were Samaritan cities. Jews and Samaritans did not get along. This was a radical idea. He was saying, you speak peace to this house. Well, those people... Wait a minute. Those people are not like us. We should speak peace to them. Look at what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah 29. We love this chapter. Most of you have heard Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans for peace and not evil. Right? Peace. But I want you to notice the context of this verse because Jeremiah is prophesying something to the people of God who are in exile. They're not in their own homeland. They're not in their own territory. They've been taken, they're captured. They've been taken to captivity. 
They've been taken by their enemies. Notice what this says in verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Sounds like they're going to be there a while. The church sometimes has neglected the city because they think we're going to be taken out any day. Our own eschatology, which for those of you who don't know what that is, it means the end time descriptions in the Bible. We interpret those end times. And people have said since I was a kid and before, Jesus is coming back any day. So there's no reason to invest because we're going to be taken out. It's not the way Jesus said it. There's an investment that must happen. And I think this picture is that idea that God is saying, um, you're somewhere where you don't belong, no doubt. You're going to be taken out, but here's what I want you to do while you're there. Here's what I want you to do while you're there. He says, uh, marry and have sons and daughters. Make sure they have sons and daughters. Increase in... Increase in number there. Do not decrease. <laughs> I love that. Increase in number. There it is. There's, there's the sentence for the message of today. Increase in numbers, not decrease. You know, we've been losing the battle in America for a couple of decades. Bigger churches, but less believers. We've got to increase. And so here we are. He says... Um, also, verse 7, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. <gasps> the peace and the prosperity of my enemies? Pray to the Lord for it, he says, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. There were people that said, no, we should treat, we should treat these people with contempt. We should not participate. We should not even be connected to them. God says through Jeremiah, those are not my prophets. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed, now he did have a plan, and he tells him, completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise. Oh, gracious promise. It's a great picture, isn't it, of Jesus coming back and taking us. We're in a land that we know not. He's coming, but while we're here, this is what the Lord says to us. My gracious promise to bring you back to this place, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We are responsible to speak peace into people's lives. Christians should always be the defenders of the helpless and those without a voice. The second thing Jesus tells him, he says, okay, so you speak peace to them. And he, and, and he says, when, if they don't receive your peace, then you can take it back. Now, here's what he meant. Sometimes you'll speak peace to people and they'll get angry and nasty. And they don't want to have anything to do with you. And Jesus says, that's okay. That's not the end of the world. Just let your peace come back to you. And they'll, they'll go on and do whatever they're going to do. God's, God will deal with them in another way. So that's what this means, is you just, you just receive your peace back and you go on to the next house. 
But you can't start with anger. You've got to speak peace. And then if they get angry, okay, let your peace continue as you go down the road. And then he says, uh, and then he says, stay in that house, eating and drinking, whatever they give you. You're sharing together. You've got to build relationships. So we're speaking peace, and then we're building relationships. Building relationships with people whose houses we're staying in. Next week, we'll talk a little bit more about your personal responsibility as we go through this. But make no mistake, our job is to, make, is to build relationships with people who are not like us. I read the scripture last week. I'll just give it to you. You can write it down. It's 1 Corinthians 5, 9. 1 Corinthians 5, 9. It's the Apostle Paul, and he says, he says, I want you to stay away from the immoral people. He says, I'm not talking about all the people in the world who are immoral. <laughs> he says, if that were the case, you'd have to be taken out of the world. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the brothers and sisters among you who say that they're believers, but then they're just full of immorality and, and sinfulness. They, they're, they're not committed. Okay, so that doesn't mean, when I say that, that does not mean <laughs> that you can't be wrestling or you can't, you can't be a, a person who believes in Jesus but is working on your life. You're welcome here. I want, listen, there's a reason he was coaching them on how to deal with immorality that was happening in their church. If your church is not dealing with sinful issues, you're probably not reaching enough new people. So, so make it clear here, the Apostle Paul is coaching them in 1 Corinthians, hey, be careful here. I'm not saying be taken out of the world. I want you to connect with people who are in the world but make, be careful, here's the thing, be careful who's influencing whom. That's really the issue. Who's influencing whom? You're hanging out with, with people who are not believers, people at work, people at school. You're supposed to build relationships with them. But what needs to happen is you need to be the influencer. And if you are not the influencer, here's what I think is right. Is if you are not the influencer and you cannot influence, you need to back off from that relationship and get to a safe place where you can have relationships that will help you build up to a place where you're strong enough then to begin to build relationships with those who really don't know anything about your culture, the culture of the kingdom. Right? Do you understand that? It's very important for me to say that because there are teenagers in the room, there are young believers in the room, and when I say build relationships with other non-believers, that doesn't mean to go to the bar every night and drink <laughs> until you get drunk and then fall off the stool. That would be a problem. Now you're not influencing them, they're influencing you. So we have to build, we have to speak peace, we have to build relationships you see Jesus doing it. He, he was called the friend of sinners. Isn't that great? The friend of sinners. Now, you know who called him that? The Pharisees. And they meant it. They, they called him that because they wanted to tear him down. They, it wasn't a compliment. But Jesus took it like one. They were, they were tearing him down. They were insulting him. But Jesus took it as a compliment. It is. So here we are. Build relationships. And then the third thing I want you to see is he says, stay in that house, eating and drinking whenever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Verse 8, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Eating is kind of like the basis of fellowship, unfortunately, <laughs> which means you have to also exercise. So just so you know. Verse 9 says, verse 9 says, heal the sick who are there. Heal the sick who are there. 
you know that we're supposed to be the ones that Jesus uses to heal people? We're supposed to be willing to take the risk to pray for people to be healed. Not just here in this, in this atmosphere where we are together, but out in the world being willing to recognize, and I want you to follow me here, being willing to recognize people's wounds, being able to validate their wounds and their hurts. Not just saying to them, well, you shouldn't be hurt, or you should take care of yourself, or pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, which is the American sort of evangelical way that we tend to look through that filter. No, we're, we, we, we validate the hurts and the wounds that people have because they themselves sense that things are not right. These people sense the injustice of our culture, of our society. And so they, the, acknowledging it and saying, yes, I know you're hurt, gives you a perfect opportunity to say, but I know somebody who can heal you. I was in a waffle, a waffle house one day. <laughs> And it was late at night, and we were eating. I was eating with some buddies, and this, the waitress came over, and she had this huge thing on her arm. And, uh, you know, it was so obvious. And I just, I was there, and she was serving. And, and I, I said, what's, um, what's wrong with your arm? And she told us, I can't remember now, uh, but she, she had broken some stuff, and it wouldn't heal right. It was something, it just kept being wrong. There was the moment. I could even, I could either respond to her, and pray for her, or I could order the all-star breakfast. <laughs> and the waffles are amazing. But it was my moment. It was acknowledging that something, first I acknowledged it. There it was. It was right out in front of me. And then in that moment, I said, well, I, we're, we're believers. We believe that God heals people. Would you mind if we prayed for you? And she was like, yeah, sure. I mean, at first she was a little bit like, oh, I don't know, are you weird? <laughs> but, but you know what she said? She said yes, and almost every person you ask the question, hey, could I pray for you? They're not going to refuse it. They're not. I mean, new, this town is full of new age people. They believe in all kinds of prayer. They don't know who you're praying to. And it doesn't really matter because once God heals them, once you pray for them and they get healed, guess what that gives you an opportunity to do? Just what Jesus tells them to do. He says, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. You want to know what this power comes from? I'll tell you. It comes from, the, it comes from God, your heavenly father. It comes from him. Now, here's the problem. We as believers, you know what we want to do? We want to start with number four. We want to start with, tell them the kingdom has come to you. Hey, the kingdom of God's come to you. Do you know who I am? Do you know who Jesus is? Let me tell you all about this. We want to tell and show instead of show and tell. I love show and tell. My kids love show and tell. Who doesn't love show and tell? Really, what we're called to do as believers is show and tell, not tell and then show. We want to tell them, and then we want to make them say stuff, and then we want to, and then we want to say, oh, oh, by the way, you have healing available to you, and then uh, we'll, we'll build a relationship with you now that you're okay. What a horrible message. <laughs> what a horrible message. Jesus says, speak peace to people. Be the people of peace. Lift up. Never tear down. Build relationships with people. Let them in in your life. Share food with them. Challenge them. Let, the, let, them, let them tell you where they are. Then heal them. Then, then pray for them and, and heal their diseases and their sicknesses. And then after all that, say, hey, do you know what this is all about? 
It's about the kingdom of God. It's about Jesus wanting to touch you and heal you. That's what we're doing. That's a church for the city. A church for the city. So do not be surprised if we have major issues in our church with people who are coming to Christ wrestling with their own sinfulness and wickedness, the habits and the patterns of their lives. Don't be shocked because if we're doing our job well, we will have a whole bunch of people here that we're building relationships with that are getting healed and they're just realizing what this is. Doesn't that make you excited? I really want, I, I confess to you, I don't know that I'm that good at this. I just know what the Bible says. And you and I have to do this well in this city. And if we do, I believe God has greater things for us. Greater things are coming.